Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for discussions on films that are out of date, out of fashion, forgotten, misremembered, or whatever. As usual, I am your host, James Eldred, and who do I got back today for another episode with me? Walking light bulb, waiting to be screwed, diamond fight. Yeah, well, it's been a minute, you know, it's been a minute. <laughs> I don't want to know about that. Uh, <laughs> forgot it. I forgot that line. What, what movie is that line from? Today we are talking about Foul Play from yes. 1978. We're going back to the 70s. We're going back. We had to go back. Yeah, we had to go back. God, did we ever? Um, <laughs> back to the 70s. Back to Colin Higgins, the director, writer, the writer of a film that Diamond and I previously discussed, Silver Streak. So, uh, check that episode out if you want. That's a great movie. And mm. this this episode, I think, was mostly your idea because of Silver Streak, right? Yeah, I mean, Silver Streak and Foul Play to me were both just uh, again my my New York up upbringing uh channel 11 wpix in new york city like these two were just mainstays of that channel you know back in the <laughs> days when kids didn't have access to you know easy access to video and like you just you turn on the tv it's like what's on tv these movies silver streak and foul play were just two movies that were always on tv for me i watched them a lot i guess you know they have violence in them but it's nothing graphic like and the adult stuff just went over my head you know, yeah. like this, this movie is not as it's funny. This movie, even though it has, you know, a lot of um, sexuality, it's not nearly as horny as Silver Streak is. But even though even though you got sex toys and you got a whole like, you know, like a uh, rumpus room, if you will, it's still it's still not as horny as as uh, Silver Streak with the wow. But um, no, nothing <laughs> is as horny as Jill Clayburgh in Sil Silver Streak. I, I said it in I said it in that episode, but like. Guys, if you want a tip on how to know if a girl's into you, watch Silver Streak because Jill Kleber is the most DTF woman for Gene Wilder in the history of the world. Mm. Uh, and Goldie she even Hawn, throws him at Ned Beatty. She even throws him at Ned Beatty just to fuck yeah, with him, you know? Yeah. Goldie <laughs> Hawn in this movie has has that energy to a bit, but not like Jill Kleber. But anyway, yeah, today we're talking about foul play. And before I forget, I want to say what it's about because I'm going to bet almost no one has seen this movie. Uh, <laughs> this is a kind of Hitchcockian pastiche. Not really a kind of a not a not a murder mystery, but like a caper movie about a about a a woman who gets involved with uh, assassins, kind of. And that kind of to say more than that would be spoiling it, I think. And it stars Goldie Hawn, like we said, and Chevy Chase, and a bunch of other people we'll get to. And it's funny that uh, Diamond, you brought it up when talking about Silver Streak. Did you know this was written and directed by the same person who wrote Silver Streak when you brought it up? Absolutely not. No, I think because it came up, it, because it came up during our Silver Street conversation, I was like, "Oh man, Foul Play." That's because at the time you said, are, "What other movies are like Silver Street?" I said, "Well, kind of like Foul Play because like it's a movie, like, it's, a, it's a comedy, but there's action and there's suspense and people people get murdered and it's just like you know, it's 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 funny, but there's also some some serious stuff goes down. And I think I think ultimately this movie is a little sillier. You know, I think this this feels sillier than than Silver Streak, but mm -hmm. even even though Silver Streak has Richard Pryor in it, I think this movie just is just kind of sillier. You know, overall, well, Chevy Chase will out silly anybody. You know, <laughs> uh, for good or bad. But yeah, this is by this was this is the directorial debut of Colin Higgins, who wrote Silver Streak. I believe he wrote this before he wrote Silver Streak, and uh, the, he wanted to get it made. I think after so he Colin Higgins wrote Harold and Maude, 
which wow. is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. And uh, after that, he, he, want, he wanted to direct that, but they wouldn't let him because he was a film student. He was pretty young at the time, I think. And he, they did some test footage. It didn't work out. Uh, Hal Ashby directed that with Higgins' blessing. And mm. Higgins was able to stay on the set to watch Ashby direct. Oh, he shattered and, him. Good, good, yeah, good shattered, shattered him, which is a good, a good, a good choice. And so very, I think, very understanding of the fact that he was not ready to direct. And then he also wrote Silver Streak, didn't direct that. But then before that, he wrote Foul Play under the name, I think, Killing Gloria. And the original idea of the film was to ha- was to have Goldie Hawn because Goldie Hawn was hot shit at the time. Oh yeah. And but it, it fell through, and then it came back to after Silver Street took off, and then the studio was like, "Fuck Goldie Hawn, let's get Farrah Fawcett." And uh, Aaron Spelling was like, "No, you're not." <laughs> <laughs> um, you see, see, she's a Charlie's Angel. She's not doing anything else. That was a whole big thing. And then it went back to Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn said that originally Harrison Ford was going to be the Chevy Chase character. Wow, that is a very different movie. I mean, it's still like. I can see it. I can see it because Harrison Ford didn't quite have the image yet. He didn't have quite have the image down yet. You know, he was still just kind of a, a working guy. I mean, that, that would be, geez. I mean, they, probably when they talked about hiring him, they probably talked about like hiring him before he was Han Solo, you know? So it's like. this is, Yeah, probably oh, right around then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I can see that. But yeah, totally different, totally different feel because he's not, he's not going to do your slapstick, you know? No, no. <laughs> and also Steve Martin. Could have been that character. So Tevi Chase plays a, plays a police detective, and we'll get to that in a minute. But yet, I can't, I cannot imagine Steve Martin in this movie. I think that would have been a monumentally bad casting. Um, but yeah, so then it, it all came back together, and and so Higgins got to direct this one. And Higgins is an interesting guy. He passed away young from uh, age related illnesses in the eighties. Hmm. He only directed three films, and now I've seen all of them. He directed yeah. this Nine to Five, which is a classic. Nice. And um, the best little whorehouse in Texas. And which is also, I love that movie. And I really wish he would have made more movies because this movie's got more and more gay. <laughs> and he was openly gay. And um, 9 to 5, I mean, 9 to 5 has Dolly Parton in it. And right. Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda just being queens. And the best little whorehouse in Texas has Dolly Parton, you know, making out a Burt Reynolds for half the movie. Um, and that's a. That is a great movie. I think The Best Little House in Texas, when it came out, got mixed reviews. I think it has aged tremendously. It is very sex positive, as they would say now. Great mm. music, great dancing, peak Burt Reynolds. Mwah. Good, good shit. Have you seen uh, 9 to 5 or Horror House? 9 to 5, yes. Although, honestly, it was only it was only a few, geez, months ago? Like, oh. literally. Literally, I, I saw it pop up on Disney Plus here in Japan. And I was like, oh, that's right. It's a Fox movie. I should probably watch this movie. And I watched it and enjoyed it. So I have now I've seen two of his movies. I need to go see. I need to see the whorehouse now. Yeah, get, get the trifecta. I need to go see the whorehouse out of, out of context. <laughs> Funny sentence. What are, they, what are they doing in Osaka, Diamond? Um, no, yeah, you should see that movie. It, it, is, it, it holds up really well. It is, it is, it's a great, great flick. But I think and Collins also wrote this. And I do like this movie. But as I told you earlier, I don't think it's as good as Silver Streak. No. And I don't think it's a great movie. Um, I think it's too long. And <laughs> it has some diversions that just feel like they're killing time, especially the scene with a little person. 
and it's a little too wacky in parts. I feel it comes together in the end, but it's a little uneven. So I think it's probably his his weakest script uh, of the ones you've seen. What would you, what, what what do you think? I could see that. I, I I can't help but wonder if you know maybe just because it's his first time directing, he maybe he wasn't as critical of his own writing. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe a different director would have looked at the script and said, you know what, maybe you don't need Goldie Hawn to push a, a little person out the window in a comic <laughs> misunderstanding. You know, like maybe, oh, we just don't, maybe we don't need that in our murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, that that scene would have been forced in Night Court. Like that was <laughs> yeah. such a such a out of left field ridiculousness. Very broad sitcom energy in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, well, it's, at the same time, yeah. it's like it's Billy Barty. It's like, oh, it's Billy Barty. Good to see you, Billy yeah, Barty. Billy Barty's good. Yeah. Yeah. Sitcom energy because this was produced by the same people who produced uh, Silver Streak and they mostly did TV. Mm. Like they produced Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, and then later on, like Step by Step and Full House. So, you know, we're talking broad humor. Yeah. I think this movie lives and dies by its cast and its cast is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. We got starring like, like the lead role in this is not Chevy Chase. It is Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Yeah. It's her movie. It's her movie. And this is really the beginning of her like leading lady era. See, broke through in the sixties. You know, a lot of people our age maybe don't realize that because I remember when I was a kid and I saw Goldie Hawn, I thought she was pretty young. But by the time we saw her, I mean, she was still not old, but by the time, like, you know, Overboard came out, she was person 40, Hmm. you know, and, but her first, like, her first roles were in the 60s. Her her very first movie, she won an Oscar. Yeah, I didn't Uh, realize it was, I didn't realize it happened that fast. Because, yeah, as as a kid in the 80s, she was still, like, starring in movies all the time, and she was on mm -hmm. TV a lot, and, like, you just, oh, that's Goldie Hawn, she's famous. And... You would, I would see her at night sometimes, like on Nick and Night and whatever. I'd see like reruns of Laughing, and I'd see her on there, and she she didn't look that different. But I don't think I really put in head like, oh, that's that was her when she was very young, and now she's more of an adult. And I absolutely did not know that her first time out as an actor, she just she's nabbed an Oscar just like that. I just figured, yeah, have, you know, it came somewhere later, but nope. Yeah, it's technically a second credited role, but in her first one, she's just she's just it's in a movie called The One, The Only Genuine Original Family Band. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. And her credit is Giggly Girl. So it's her first real movie is Cactus Flower, which is by Gene Sachs. It's written by I I I always say his name wrong. I A L Diamond. I I A L Diamond wrote Some Like It Hot in the Apartment. Uh-huh. Okay. So he's a good writer. And yeah. uh Cactus Flower, have you seen that movie? No? I have not, no. Oh, it's well, I watched it this week. That has Goldie Hawn as Goldie Hawn plays the young other woman to Walter Matthau, who plays a dentist. And the, the the gimmick of the movie is Walter Matthau told Goldie Hawn that he was married, but he's not. Huh. Because he doesn't want to commit. And then he, when she, he decides he wants to marry her, he has to have his secretary pretend to be his wife to agree to a divorce because Goldie Hawn's character won't marry him unless 
the wife is okay with the divorce, and the wife, and the secretary is played by Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine these three people in the room together. Area in the lead. Yeah, so it's a love it's a love triangle between Walter Matthau, Ingrid Bergman, and Goldie Hawn. Uh, it is very much like The Apartment and uh, kind of not as serious as that movie. Uh, although there was, an, there was an attempted suicide in this movie too, I guess. But what were you going to say? I'm just saying, I mean, this is, this is like, what, 68, 69? How old is Walter Matthau at that point? Walter Matthau... <laughs> He would have been pushed. He was. Let me think. I'm. I'm bad at math. He was. He was 49 years old. Yeah, and she's what, like 21? <laughs> she is 23. Whew. So 24. But hey, she is. She is supposed to be his. Even though he doesn't have a mane, she's supposed to be his girl on the side. You know, I, that's. I get the, it. I, I mean, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. It's like I wouldn't. You know. I'm I'm in my 40s right now. It's not like I would say no to Goldie Hawn at that age, but I'm just kind of like, where's where's the reverse? You know what I mean? What if she's you know she sees a 49 year old dentist? She's like, oh god, I have it. Well, there is there is a, there is a subplot in that film with Ingrid Bergman does meet a man who is also in his early 20s. So oh, okay, movie, so. yeah. So there is, and yeah, so it, it's a good flick. I recommend that one. And okay. then she was in a few other movies. I think you know she was in um the Sugarland Express. You know Spielberg's. You know, kind of pre, his pre Jaws mm. movie, and then she was in Shampoo, uh, another Hal Ashby film, and that was a huge hit. But then she Warren took Beatty some time. Is like, is he just is he the star of that? Did he also like write it too, or would he like? Warren Beatty wrote it with Robert Town. It is directed okay. by Hal Ashby. It's produced all right, all right. and co-written. It is very much a Warren Beatty film. Yeah, but he didn't direct it. No. Okay. I have never seen Shampoo. Uh I've seen Black Shampoo, <laughs> uh, which I believe is a very different film. Uh, and then she took a few years off to to, to have a kid, and uh, I don't believe I don't I don't think it was Kate. I think yeah, Oliver, her first kid, Oliver. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I when you wrote, when you put that in the notes, I looked it up. I was like, wait, is that Kate? No, no, Kate. Kate was born a couple years later. So it's funny. Yes. Her kids uh, very much mirror the the timeline of me and my sister. Like I'm, I'm about Oliver's age, and Kate Hudson is about my sister's age. Okay, I don't but know. Just, after, it's yeah. funny coincidence. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and then so after that, she took a break, and foul play was her return to the stage, and it was also kind of her first leading role. Like mm. in, in the, all the other, like in Shampoo, she's playing second fiddle to Warren Beatty. In Cactus Flower, she is probably as big. That role was as big a role a supporting role can be. But he's still the supporting role. Yeah, I mean it's it's Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman. You you can't you can't overshadow them, and not not in the nineteen sixties. So she is, you know, she is so good in that movie. She, Cactus she Flower. comes close. She steals the scenes sometimes. So, well, she's she's adorable. Yeah, you know, and she just has this look on her, like, you know, Goldie Hawn. The stereotype of Goldie Hawn in the sixties and early seventies was she, she was a dumb blonde. Hmm. And if you go to her Wikipedia page and you look at the photo for Cactus Flower, it has her smiling with one hand under her chin and, and her, 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 her finger in her mouth. You know, like, like tee-hee. And that was kind of her bit. But then she could also, like, drop the stupid girl bit immediately and give amazing performances, even on laughing. Hmm. And so that was kind of, that was her, her thing. And I remember when she was in First, First Wives Club, way later. <laughs> Uh, which I saw with my mom and her friend both after both their husbands left them. So that was a rough 
in an in a, in a after my dad left my mom and after my mom's friend's husband left her, I saw First Lies Club with them in a theater full of middle aged women, and I was terrified. Um, <laughs> but I I have a First yeah. Lies Club story if you want it now or later. I don't know, but uh, well, really quick, let me let me just say okay. that I remember during during the promotion for that film because Elizabeth Berkeley's in that, and Elizabeth yes. Berkeley had just come off Showgirls. Oh yeah, and um. Goldie Hawn defended her and she's like, no, just because she plays a dumb blonde doesn't mean she is one. She's very good at playing a dumb blonde. So was mm. I. Kind of. That was her viewpoint there. But what is your what is your first wives club story? So that's nineteen ninety six. Yeah, it's 96. Uh, I'm working at the uh all Westchester Sawmill Multiplex. Uh, unfortunately no longer standing, but um and ran I'm there random afternoon, probably like a matinee showing, and this guy runs out of First White Club, like runs out of First White First Wives Club. Can't blame him. And you know the theaters. It's like afternoons. So the theaters mostly empty. I'm like, what? What the hell? And a woman comes out after him, and she's like, he was masturbating. Wait, 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 wait what? <laughs> I'm serious. A regular ass dude ran out of First Wives Club. Was chased out of First Wives Club essentially because of, he was allegedly jerking off in the theater. <laughs> hey man, some people really like Diane Keaton. I uh, mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That movie, that movie does not have any nudity or sex in it, right? It's just, it's just like a I bunch mean, of that movie. En- that movie opened with a suicide. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's not a lot of no. That's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> Thanks for that, Diamond. <laughs> it stuck with me. That's the only. That's the only memory I have of someone. Running out of the theater like that and having someone pursue them and saying he was masturbating. Well, he enjoyed that film more than me. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, First Wives Club is not a film for us. Let's be let's be real. Um, you know, it, 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 I didn't like that movie as a, as a seventeen year old as a fifteen year old boy. Um, but Goldie Hawn's good in it. Goldie Hawn is good in a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, I think after this movie, this was her leading lady era. I mean, she followed this up with Private Benjamin, right. Which, I still haven't seen. Have you seen that movie? I saw parts of it. I remember, I remember again, that was a movie that, that aired a lot on TV and I remember seeing yeah. parts of it and she got a nomination for that one, right? Like she didn't Oscar win it. That's a nominated but, role. Yeah. That, that, that is like her standout. Most people agree that is her standout leading role is Private Benjamin. Yeah. I remember the, v, the VHS cover is very vivid in my mind. Oh, she's, be, oh, the, she's got the helmet on. That's my thing. You know that. I can identify yeah. a VHS cover from a mile away. Uh, so like what, what key Goldie Hawn films have you seen? I've seen... Uh, Wildcats, Overboard, Bird on a Wire, Death Becomes Her, First Wives Club, and Everyone Says I Love You. What What about you? Uh, Wildcats was a big one. I think Wildcats might have been the first R-rated movie I saw by accident. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I think it was just I remember the I think the advertising just just hyped up as a comedy, like it's a football comedy. Like let's all laugh, let's all laugh, and you know Goldie Hawn, of course, still a star. And I think. We got taken to it as kids, and I think no one. We I don't think anyone. I don't think the parents who took us knew how raunchy it was, um, and they certainly didn't expect her to be fully nude in the tub. Just like, yeah, I'm, I'm just <laughs> nude in the tub. Um, so that was that was educational for me. Um, Overboard, I think that's a movie. Like, I don't think I don't know if anyone saw that in theaters, but boy, everyone saw that on video and cable for years and years and years. Like, I've I've seen that movie like at least ten times. Jesus. I think that was that was my grandpa's second favorite movie after Used Cars. Big yeah, Kurt Russell fan. 
Didn't that just get a remake? <laughs> Didn't something just try to remake Overboard like recently? Somebody already tried to remake Overboard, and I and I want to say it was it then just swapped. I don't remember. Let me see. Yeah, 2018. No, same thing. Uh, okay. Yeah, with no gender uh, reversing. Yeah, it's a remake. Uh, yeah, no, it's a gender swap. And that has Anna Ferris and people I've never heard of. And it made $90 million. <laughs> so Yeah, but in today's climate, is $90 million enough? I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, it cost, It probably didn't cost that much to make. Uh, it got terrible reviews. Uh, I have no <sighs> interest. I think Overboard's a very hard film to make now. Yeah, I mean, even when you watch it now, you're kind of like, mm, this is, I mean, it's it's still funny, but you're, the, the, the undertone of, you know, man takes woman home is still a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I think th- since they never, I don't think they ever have sex. So I think that saves it from being like, they don't have sex while, while she doesn't know who, while he has tricked her. So that makes it let, less skeevy, but it's still, a, it's a, it's a pretty skeevy story. Um but it's a good movie. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I lost it all the time. I also watched Bird on a Wire a lot, but I'm sure that's terrible. Uh, that's the Mel Gibson one. The only joke I remember from that movie is Mel Gibson pretending to be gay. So I'm sure that's not aged well. Uh, yeah, I remember two yeah. things in the movie. I remember there's a, I think there's a, there's a moment where where someone gets shot and like they go to a vet because they don't, they can't go to yes. a regular doctor. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a scene where. He looks up her dress because they're climbing up a, like a, a ladder or something. He just looks yes. up her dress. Yes. He's, he plays somebody who is on the run, and he's in the witness protection program, and she recognizes him. Hmm. And that, that's, that's the story. It it's probably hasn't aged well. But I, after the late 90s, I think Goldie Hawn just kind of quit. She was in the Out of Towners remake that bombed. She was in a legendary bomb, Town and Country. Hmm. Uh, and she was in... The Banger Sisters with Susan Sarandon, which I think got decent reviews but didn't do that well. And then she just pretty much quit until I think she was in that movie Snatched like five years ago, which didn't do great. And she's plays Mrs. Claus in some Netflix movies now, apparently. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like the First Wives Club speech brought to life. I mean, she is the one who gives the speech in that movie. She's like, you know, Hollywood has, has only three ages for women, which is like, mm-hmm. what is it? Uh bimbo district attorney and driving miss daisy i think the line yep, like pretty much so yeah at first wives club she's basically you know she's middle-aged quote-unquote at that point mm-hmm. and i think after that yeah the roles for her probably got really really scarce and but you know she was fortunate enough that she just had she just had the funds and you know the family just like just roll with it and then you know then her daughter got super famous and it's like yeah. okay well i'll just you know i'll work occasionally but don't need to work so you know oh kate hudson yeah yeah <laughs> Kate, really quick about Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson is in one fantastic movie, almost famous, and nothing but shit. Just like top to bottom, like she's in that terrible Four Feathers remake, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, You, Me, and Dupree, Fool's Gold, Bride Wars. Like Kate Hudson, like that. She is the stereotypical. Um, like romantic comedy, like if 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 you're a straight guy being dragged to a movie you're gonna hate, it probably has Kate Hudson in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to point fingers because you you never know, like you know, what opportunities did she have? Did 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 the you know did her agent you know mess up? Who knows? But people talk about like Cuba Gooding Jr. getting the Oscar and suddenly starring in a bunch of crap. Like, I think her her career post Oscar is probably even worse. You know, I mean, because it's more she's... successful, like in terms of like money. 
Yeah, I guess, yeah, the, the movies didn't bomb, but they're terrible. <laughs> I mean, just, they're awful movies. Yeah, it's like I, the, the poster for How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is like a spoof of romantic comedies. Right. Like, it, it, it's just, those movies are terrible. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Kate Hudson. We're here to talk about Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn's yeah. great. And she's very good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she kind of is balancing her ditzy roles from earlier films and more her more mature roles that would come later. Well, she plays really the hottest librarian, you know, on the West Coast, possibly. Hey, and... you know, hate to interrupt again, I'm sorry, but my family <laughs> works with librarians. Okay. And I have met quite a few hot librarians, so go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I just, it's funny <laughs> to me because they, they have the scene right in the opening where, you know, they, they, they open in this party and her friend is like, oh, you need to get out more, you know, show some cleavage. And it's kind of like, okay, Goldie Hawn is beautiful. Let's, let's, you know, we've said it more. I'm just going to again, Goldie Hawn is a beautiful woman. Yes. I don't think cleavage is really her angle. She's not a very busty lady. You know what I mean? Like this, she I has that it. ability to have a very low cut shirt, and no cleavage. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know? I mean, I get uh, it. You know, maybe, I, it's kind of you know, if they wrote the script with her in mind, I feel like cleavage. No, but the the flip side of that though is, I swear, I don't think she wears a bra this whole movie because she's just out there. <laughs> you know, it's seventies, man. Yeah, I'm just, you know, at one point she's walking out in the rain, and I'm like, good morning, good morning, Goldie. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, Diamond. I didn't notice that, but I think we have different priorities. I, I um, understand. It's I, yes. you, you, <laughs> yes. I'm into women. You know, we we talk about, we talk about the, the good looking men in this movie too. But I just like for me, the there star of the movie is Goldie Hawn, and I'm just like she's her wardrobe apartment. Either she made the choice that, or the wardrobe department's like, you know what, you don't need this. Just you know, there there aren't many good looking men in this film because the leading man is Chevy Chase. So let's talk about Chevy Chase. <laughs> You know, this is post Saturday Night Live. You know, he he you know he made his his big his big national break with Saturday Night Live, which had, you know he's there for seventy five and I guess most of seventy six, but then he's out of there and he bounces. Yeah, yeah. And so this is his first big like, oh, I'm in the movies now, and it works. You know that we we you know we haven't really we don't want to jump ahead too far, but like this movie is a hit, and he's a star. He's a star in the movie, so yeah. this is a big moment for him, and he's he's got a lot of you know he's got a lot of time on camera. He's not the he's not the star, but he's you know the co-star. Yeah, he really he has a very brief scene in the beginning of the film, which almost feels tacked on, and then he doesn't show up again until forty-five minutes into this movie. That's almost two hours long. Yeah, so, it's kind of wild. I do want to point out though that that's to me that scene is pretty significant because I feel like it's a big difference between it's the bridge between his SNL and his future. Because yes. in that scene, he's just there being a good-looking guy, and you know, by all means, if you, if if that guy doesn't do it for you, I get it. I'm I'm kind of like I don't know, is he good-looking? I can't really tell. But in that scene, he's there to be the good-looking guy, and then he fucks it up. He he, he fumbles some drinks and he breaks a yeah. glass, and like so he just he you know he does his his slapstick stuff, and I feel like later on the movies would make him more like a cool guy who would occasionally he'd have some joke scenes, but like his character would be cool. Like, you know, we'll probably talk about it later, but like Fletch in Fletch, he's a cool guy, you know? Yeah. I just saw Fletch for the first time last week. Yeah. I've never seen Fletch and he is cool, but he's an obnoxious prick. 
Mm. And I feel like that is Chevy Chase's default persona because I think in real life, uh, Chevy Chase is a gigantic asshole. I think that's not that's not a secret. Like everybody, like he was kicked off SNL when he when he 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 couldn't do SNL for a long time because he was harassing female writers. He got into, almost got into a fist fight with Bill Murray. Yeah, that's a wild story. Yeah, <laughs> like you can you can story. if you Google if you Google people who hate Chevy Chase, there's a great old Gawker article about it and. When I see Chevy Chase, I just, even before I knew that stuff, something about him rubbed me the wrong way. And he's a good prick. He plays a fantastic prick. You know, he's a prick in this. He's a prick in Caddyshack. Oh, yeah. You know, and 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 Fletch. But I'm going to be honest. I have not seen most of Chevy Chase's, like, main vehicle. So, like, he did this movie, and then he was in a Benji movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's one of those famous, like, like... I don't know if it bombed, but like, it was one of those those famous like, oh, that's a ridiculous movie. Like the movie title, it's the movie title is Oh Heavenly Dog. So like right away, that's like that alone is like that's a joke title, you know? Uh, hey, that's the movie with the the the. Uh, I, I here's the cast order: Chevy Chase, Benji, Jane Seymour, Omar Sharif. That's the that's the the, the the like that's and it's not even Benji. It's Benji's kid, Benjine. But anyway, that's a movie where Be- where uh, Chevy Chase, I believe, is murdered and reincarnated as Benji. Right. Um, yes. Uh, I have not seen that movie. But and that was the same year as Caddyshack. And then he made another movie of Goldie Hawn called Seems Like Old Times. And then he made Isn't a Kurt movie. Is Russell in that too? I have never seen Seems Like Old Times. Charles Grodin's in that. Oh, no, no. I think Kurt, Kurt Russell is in that movie with Robin Williams about the, the reunion movie. I'm thinking a different movie. Sorry. Yeah, different sorry. movie. Different, that's okay. Yeah. And then he's in a movie I've never seen that I always want to have seen called Under the Rainbow. Which is your description uh, of it is pretty, pretty, pretty outrageous. <laughs> I'm going to well, my description is nothing. I'm going to read the IMDb description of Under the Rainbow: a visiting dignitary, a CIA agent, a Nazi spy, Japanese tourists, an assassin, and a group of quote midget quote actors from The Wizard of Oz all check into a LA hotel called Under the Rainbow. So it's a period piece. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, I have heard nothing. That has Chevy Chase. It has Eve Arden. I love Eve Arden. Eve Arden is the is in Greece. She's in a lot of Doris Day films. It has Mako, uh, Adam Arkin. It has Billy Barty. And yeah, it has, I, I was gonna say if you can do if you can short people again, like why not get Billy Barty right back? Yeah, and it has <laughs> Carrie Fisher. It oh. is a notorious bomb. Uh, okay. But he recovered. He recovered pretty quick from that because then he then he made Vacation. And right. I think that is the leading man era of Chevy Chase. We had the Goldie Hawn leading lady era goes from like 78 to 96. Chevy Chase's leading man era is the 80s, full stop. And of his leading man roles, I've seen I've seen the first three vacations. I never saw Vegas, no desire to. Mm. And I saw Fletch just last week. I still, I'm going to be honest, I've never seen Spies Like Us. I've never seen Three Amigos. I've never seen Funny Farm. For some reason, I've seen Caddyshack 2. <laughs> Um, <laughs> of course, of course, that's the that's the lineup you have in your brain. <laughs> and I haven't seen the second Fletch movie, so I'm gonna guess you've seen Three Amigos. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Again, much like you know, Goldie Hawn was a star when I was a kid. Yes, Chevy Chase was a big star when I was a kid. So I watched, and these I would say his movies were, uh, played on cable even more than hers. Oh, so yeah. Spies Like Us, that was a you know Fletch Spies Like Us were on TV all the time and cable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think. 
Yeah, I, I, I doubt spy. I, I doubt for a number of reasons spies like us probably uh, hold up very well. But I feel like that he and Dan Aykroyd are a great pair, and I think that's why we'll get to it. They work together a little bit later in a less successful film. And <laughs> Three Amigos, like it's him and Steve Martin and Rob Martin Short. I know some people hate that movie, but I again, when I was a kid, that was perfect for me. You know, it's very, I mean, it's, it's very campy. It's very silly. Yeah. You know, you got the you got Phil Hartman there, just like. When this when they they go to the studio at one point and the studio basically takes all their stuff and there's a guy telling him it might it might be John Lovitz who's just telling them oh I'm taking your stuff and everything he says Phil Hartman just picks up a phone and says it in the phone so he's like take the amigos clothes and someone r- runs on on camera and just takes all their 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 clothes away and it's just very silly movie yeah I I I maybe someday I'll see it you know my my boyfriend still doesn't know who Martin Short is so I feel like I sort of leave, I fix that problem somehow. That's you got it. You got to get in the Martin Short. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, so the, don't lead. Just don't lead with the, the Clifford movie. Don't lead no. with that. You can I get there. To, you can get there, but don't lead with it. I really like Flea Fugitives. <laughs> uh, that's a cute Flea Fugitives with, with Nick Nolte. Anyway. Um, yeah. So then a few other ones, but then like Christmas Vacation comes out in 89. Great movie. Like, yeah. All can time. I just say, I'm not a Christmas. I'm not a Christmas person. Okay. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm sorry. But to me, <laughs> I feel like. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm Jewish. I'm sh- sorry. Yes. I've seen, I feel like over the last 10 or 15 years or so, that movie has built up this huge reputation as some sort of Christmas classic. And to me, I'm just got, it's completely missed me. You know, like I remember, I know vacation is, you know, people love vacation. Again, I didn't love it, but European vacation was on cable all the time. So I've seen European vacation way too many times. Also, it's a PG 13 movie with nudity. So like I watched it a lot of times on cable. <laughs> Christmas Vacation to me just went right. I don't care about Christmas, whatever. But people seem to love that movie. And I guess it did really, really well. And it's like, okay, great. Of of the of the core, like, let's not count Vegas Vacation. Who the fuck cares about? Who cares about no, Vegas that was, Vacation? Yeah, that was that I was working a movie. Again, that's when I was working movie theaters. Like, I remember that movie came out and no one cared. No yeah, one. Of the core vacation films, that one rings the most true. I think it's the most down to earth. It is. It, if like you if if you have had family vacations if you have had families come to your house for Christmas, that movie at times is a documentary. And right, it, the whole it, the whole spiel is that they don't actually go anywhere, right? Everyone comes to yeah, them. everyone comes to them, and mm. it feels it feels very real. The ending goes crazy, of course, with the kidnapping and everything. Uh, <laughs> it also has I know I know Randy Quaid is a bad person, but. He has a line in that movie where he talks about how he had a metal plate in his head. You know that metal plate in my head? Ah, how can I forget? I had to have it replaced because every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. So over to the VA, they had to replace it with a plastic one, and it ain't as strong. So. That line gets me every single time I see the movie. <laughs> so, like, I, I am a huge fan of that film, but that is the last time Chevy Chase mattered in cinema. Because <laughs> the 80s ended, he did nothing but trouble. Yeah. Which was a massive bomb. Yeah, that's, I would say it's it's not really forgotten because I feel like it, it's went, it went way past forgotten and went straight to infamous, you know? Yeah, yeah. What is nothing but I trouble? I actually just watched, just this week I watched like a very recent YouTube video sort of outlining that movie and why... Yeah, you know, the person making the video loves it because it's so weird. But like that is a really deeply strange, off-putting, 
I guess is a comedy, but it's also like it's kind of disturbing. And Dan Aykroyd, you know, it's basically like Dan Aykroyd. It's kind of this living proof that Dan Aykroyd is this crazy idea man who needs someone to bounce ideas off of, mm-hmm. you know, because he wrote the movie. He directed the movie. He plays multiple roles, like three roles. Two, I, I mean, he's, his, he's, his brother wrote the movie. His brother wrote the movie. OK. Yeah. But it's this really bizarre, you know, kind of. Yeah, Chevy Chase plays a rich, a rich asshole who mm-hmm. drives into a small town in like New Jersey somewhere, runs a stop sign, gets in tr- gets pulled over by John Candy with a machine gun, <laughs> gets escorted to the courthouse, and the courthouse is like this bizarre, like, um, I don't know, it's an incredible. Like I say it's an incredible set. Like mm-hmm. the movie looks, the movie looks like however many millions of dollars it costs. You see, everything's on screen, giant sets, crazy, you know giant uh you know actually like uh things are exploding things things collapse into each other dan Aykroyd is covered in makeup because he plays like a you know like a 90 year old man yeah his nose his nose looks like a dick sometimes but then he takes his nose off at one point he just takes his fucking nose off it's disgusting like what so his nose is like a dick is he playing owen wilson (laughs) sorry yeah, I, I had never seen that. I've heard nothing but bad things about it. I do know that is the that is the screen debut of Tupac Shakur. Yes, because yeah, he has a very small part in that one. There's it all underground. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's the whole scene where like yeah, the whole band is there, and yeah, they get pulled over, and they basically just, instead of actually getting in trouble, they just play some music, and then the judge like breaks out an organ and starts playing music with them, and then he lets them go. So why but not? Chevy Chase, rich asshole, gets to you know gets trapped in an amusement park, you know. Uh, obstacle course and did I mention John Candy also plays the judge's daughter because he does he plays double oh, role God oh God uh, doesn't yeah. talk He's, she's mute but she wants to marry Chevy Chase it who is, doesn't it's uh, a weird it's 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 the weirdest goddamn movie it's so deeply disturbing and weird it does not it shouldn't be it's sh- the way it, it the way it is it shouldn't be but like because of that it's almost hypnotic like you can't you can't not watch it i think you mm-hmm. you really should watch it at some point i don't know if it's if it's appropriate for your show cuz it's not forgotten but L- life is too short <sighs> it's unique uh, it is fiercely unique i know it's terrible and i don't want to i just you know i'm i'm good i'm i want to find i want to find terrible films no one knows about <laughs> i don't need to watch a terrible film that everyone can, like hey that's terrible i watched it everyone was right you know what's even weirder though there is a there's an episode of tales from the crypt Okay, I don't remember the title. I'm sorry, but okay. Tales from Crypt. There's a, there's a Tales from Crypt episode, which is almost like a mini version of Nothing But Trouble. In that, it said it's a rich, it's a rich asshole, but she's a lady. It's Catherine O'Hara. Oh, and she ends up in a small town, and she ends up running through this this uh, sort of arcane justice system that makes no sense and is very wacky, and it goes to dark places because Tales from the Crypt. But yeah. that is like that's like the short version of Nothing But Trouble. And uh, that's one of my favorite episodes of that that series. I don't remember the name of it, but it's it's she only did one episode. So if you look if you look for Tales of the Crypt, Catherine O'Hara, it's it's got to be her. And it's okay. Uh, that's a good episode. And just like yeah, that's the short version. Yeah, okay. But we should move on because we've all the dick nose. We, about the dick nose. Yes. Really, uh, other people in it, like, this movie has a stacked cast, and I do want to mention a few more. Yes. I want to um, Burgess Meredith. Yeah. As like the landlord. Um, this is maybe the only after- good landlord ever. Yeah, my my landlord in Pittsburgh is all right. Okay. Um, yes. Um, my my toilet broke at two o'clock in the morning, and he came to fix it. Nice. Oh, he's a good guy. But anyway, uh, Mister Hennessy, Burgess Meredith was. I I love doing this. Like when I was researching <laughs> when I was researching Roddy McDowell, 
Yeah. And I realized that Ronnie McDowell acted for, I think, 60 years of his 70 years. You know, mm. something like that. Um, Burgess Meredith, save for 1960, he was in a TV show or a movie for every year from 1935 until 1995. Yeah. And in the 19- 1995 would have been like what grumpy old men probably right yeah and his last role is the video game the ripper but let's not talk about that <laughs> um oh god and then in the 70s he was in 55 movies tv series miniseries or short films mm. in 10 years i uh, i feel like he was a character actor when he was young but when he became old he became the go-to old man yeah and just fucking ran with it <laughs> I mean, especially after Rocky. I mean, then that, and that became a paycheck for him, you know, just making the Rocky Oh, movie. yeah. And I think he's kind of doing Mickey here a little bit, too. Like, officially, he has a fight scene, you know. And he, he's, gr- he's great in this movie. A lot of other small... Like, Brian Denny, he's in this movie for, like, two minutes, which is yeah, weird. Yeah, it was wild to see him, you know. I, yeah. I, I did not expect to see Brian Denny in, in a role, you know, looking this young. And he, this, is, this is very early in his career. Yeah, it's one of his first movies. I'll get to the one, one more big star in a minute. But also, there's... Rachel Roberts, who was in Murder in the Orient Express, she plays kind of a bad guy. She's a big act. She was an Oscar nominee. Uh, let's see. And then Eugene Roach. How do you say his last name? I don't. I would assume it's Eugene Roach. Roach. Eugene Roach, who is a he's a he's like TV. He's like TV's version of Dick Miller. <laughs> like, like he. I I notice him from Night Court. You recognize him from Voyager. He's yeah. an executive decision. You will recognize that actor. He is. Yeah. In, a bagillion t- every TV show, every TV show, and a few other small two characters I want to point out. There's Marilyn Sokol who plays Goldie Hawn's friend Stella. I really mm. like her because she's in Can't Stop the Music, and goddamn it, it's not a bad movie. That's the village. She's, the village people. Movie. I like her in this movie a lot because she plays like the best friend. And normally, sometimes best friend characters can be sort of annoying, but she's like almost everything she says is right. You know, she's rocking brass she, knuckles. Yeah, she's yeah. right to tell tell Goldie to, to carry around weapons because she's in. Yeah. You know, you're in danger, girl. <laughs> yeah, you're in danger, girl. And then there's we mentioned him already, Billy Bar- Billy Barty, a famous little person who, if you want to talk about lifetime of acting, he was born in 1924. His first movie is in 1927. He died in 2000. His last role is in 1999. A life on screen. A life on screen. You would recognize him. He never played an Ewok, but he. He was in Willow. He's a three-time Razzie nominee, which is bullshit because fuck the Razzies. Yeah. Uh, he was in Willow, Masters of the Universe. Okay, I'll give him that one. The Razzies, the Razzies aren't wrong. And uh, Under the Rainbow. So he worked with Seven Chase more than once, I guess. But he's in this. But I think the one more notable person to mention in this film, and I think the most of the era person, is Dudley Moore. <laughs> yeah. This, this is, like again, a kickoff for him. If this was the beginning... This is the beginning of his, I guess you want to say his third career, because first he was a musical prodigy, and then he became a British comedian, and he's in Bedazzled, which he also wrote the score for. And then he moved to America, and this is his debut. And he kind of plays a down-on-his-luck, short, horny horny man. Uh, I've I've taught a lot of those. (laughs) And he's very, his, his character is very silly, but I think he, 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 plays it very well he plays it very broad yeah you know it makes sense that he, he he's almost like he's in a blake edwards film like over the top crazy wacky goofy like almost like a pink panther movie mm. yeah that, that's how i like because like his he has a sex pad right yeah 
Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. And it, what, what do you call it? The, the Murphy bed? The, the one that comes the out of the bed wall? That has, yeah. The Murphy bed coming out of the wall that has bed seats that say coming together. Which, <laughs> and a mirror ceiling. <laughs> a mirrored ceiling, yeah. Oh, boy. A lot of mirrored ceilings in movies I feature on this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> I, and I don't know why. But this is like immediately after this, he's a huge deal. I mean, not that huge. He's, he's, he's a little man. But yeah. he's... Yeah, he's in, like, if you look at his career, he was in a lot of movies that were pretty big that no one talks about now, mm. that got a lot of awards, and he starred, he starred opposite some of the most beautiful women of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's in he's he's in 10 with Bo Derek. Yep. Golden Globe nominee. He's an author with Liza Minnelli. Gets an Oscar nomination, wins a Golden Globe. Uh, he's in a film called Six Weeks, where he's a composer. Gets a Golden Globe nomination for the, for composing. He's in a movie called Love Sick with with a very young Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah, he's in a movie called Romant- Romantic Comedy <laughs> with Mary Steenburgen, and then he's in Unfaithfully Yours with Natasha Kinski. Ooh, just back to, like what? And he's and he's Dudley fucking Moore. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, as I recall, the gimmick of Ten is like he's just he's just a schlub, and like oh, he sees the, he sees a woman who might be the most beautiful woman ever made, and like made sorry but like that's the gimmick right like <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the gimmick he has no business being with this woman but i feel like yeah. after that he just kind of just kept being in all these movies with, with beautiful beautiful women it's just like okay well, he's well. funny yeah and dudley dudley moore was funny and yeah. i feel like his career took a huge nosedive in the second half of the 80s because he was in best defense which is like a legendarily bad film um with chevy where, 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 is chevy oh, is best defense no eddie is... murphy's in that movie okay kind of not Chevy Chase. So Best Defense is a strange movie because they finished the movie. They did test screenings. It bombed. They hired Eddie Murphy. <laughs> filmed more scenes with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is never on camera with Dudley Moore. And it, it almost killed Eddie Murphy's career. Yeah, no, I, I, gee, I guess I'm thinking of, I must be thinking of a different, a different poster or something, but I, I, I no. got an image of, of him with, uh, okay, never mind, sorry. No, it's, that's, that's, you know, there's a lot of forgotten 80s comedies that are okay, so makes sense. This one's not okay, it's terrible. But I feel like after that, he was in a movie called Mickey and Maud, which got him a Golden Globe nomination, but from there, he's in that Santa Claus movie. Yeah, he's in, literally, what, Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> Santa Claus the movie. He's in Like Father, Like Son with Kirk Cameron, which is yeah, the... So, I want to say it's the first. I think it's the first of the four body-swapping movies. Remember there was... Okay, like, what are, those, 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 there's four? What are the, what's the fourth one? So, okay, okay, you name name them. What are the four okay. body-swapping movies? I feel like... Well, I think I think it's Like Father, Like Son, which that's 87. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, Vice Versa. Vice versa, yes. With, with Judge Reinhold and Frank Judge Savage. Reinhold and Frank Savage, yeah. And then you have 18 again. I know 18 again, yeah, with, with, with George Burns. Right. George. That one's kind of weird because like George Burns basically swaps with, what's his name, Charlie Schlater? Kind of a, a kind of weird, I, I obnoxious young guy. Totally forgot, yeah. So it's, it's a one-way swap in that you never see the young person in the old body. Well, because Char- George Burns is in a coma the whole movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But it counts. It's still it's still a movie about swapping bodies. And then of course you get big, which is just like oh well that's not really a swap. But it's young person becomes old. I mean it's it's definitely it came it was in the zeitgeist. It's it's it it's, follows yeah. it follows the pattern. It's and they're all really years. close together. Like those four movies came out within like I want to say like fourteen months of each other. Like And I'm gonna really say the tight. only the only good one is big. It's definitely the best one. I mean and, there's no <laughs> I I saw 
I know I saw Vice Versa, and I know I saw 18 again. I don't know if I saw like Father Like Son. I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> you don't um, need to see it. No, I mean, no, I think unless I'm you good. really want to see Dudley Moore pretend to be a teenager and like wear some sun- wear sunglasses and and try to be 80s cool and just like no, you know, you're Dudley Moore. I'm sorry, you're not 80s cool. No, he's not. And then he tried to make so he had a lot of bombs in a row. So he's like, I know Arthur too, and. That that didn't work. Nope. And then he made a movie that somehow I have seen called oh, Crazy yeah. People. Crazy yeah, people. no, this is a good one. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Crazy People is about, I think he's like he's an, like an ad executive who basically, quote unquote, goes crazy. You know, this is, a, you know, not great mental, mental illness no, no, uh, no. depiction, but you know, he goes crazy, quote unquote, and goes to a sanitarium. And in the sanitarium, he meets a lot of other character actors and um, Splash, um, Mermaid. What's her name? Joe Hannah. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. You're She's welcome. also in the, in, the, in the asylum and all these people get together. He sort of organizes these people together and they start coming up with, with ad campaigns because they're like, they've got time on their hands and they're all, the gimmick is that all the ad campaigns are quote unquote honest, but they're also just like really absurd and they start making money. Yeah. Metamucil. Metamucil. It helps you go to the toilet. If you don't use it, you'll get cancer and die. Right. The Volvo. Remember the Volvo ads? Like they're boxy, but they're good. Be safe boxy instead of sexy. Safe. Boxy <laughs> but safe. And so I learned I, this movie is how I learned the word hand job because uh, there's, I think it's for Porsche. I think it's says, Jaguar. 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 Too small yeah. to have sex in, but still give you a hand job. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So it yeah. Ends, unfortunately, it ends on a racist joke, but I don't, um, I don't remember the movie at all. I all yeah. I remember, all I remember is it's too small to have sex in, but she'll give you a hand job. The other one for me is that they, uh, at one point, they break up the squad somehow, mm-hmm. and then like so the people who normally work with the with him are forced to like come with ideas on their own, and they, they don't know how to do it. So Sony comes to them and like, okay, we need Sony. Sony, what do you got? And this guy walks up with a poster. He's like, Sony, and he holds up a picture of a really thin guy, bony. And just walks away. And the, the executives are staring at him like, wow. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a funny movie. But um, yeah, unfortunately, Sony, they end up going with um, Sony. Uh, we make good stuff because Caucasians are too tall, which is like, that's racist. I'm sorry. That's a racist joke. You know, Japanese people don't make good, good electronics because they're short. They they just, you know, they have, they have a different work. They have a different work climate. It's just like, doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. No. It's a I bad mean, joke. It's a bad joke, and it's racist. I'm sorry, but no. And you know, as a tall man in Japan, I'm I'm offended even more. Mm. Yeah. So that's weird. That, that's 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 not even funny. Anyway. No. Um. But yeah. Then, then Paul Weiser. Uh, no, Paul, Paul, Paul Weiser. Um. He's in he's in he's in that movie also. I think yes. And then Probably. Dudley Moore. I think kind of took a backseat, and he he passed away relatively young, which is very sad because mm. I, I really I really like Dudley Moore. Uh. Anybody out there who is, watches this movie, watch other D- Dudley Moore films. I need to watch more. I haven't seen Arthur since I was like ten. I want to see it again, and I've never seen. I've never seen ten. I'm sure ten has aged poorly, but uh, <laughs> that is a lot. Of D- Dudley Moore made sex comedies, and I bet those. That's the least well aged type of film. <laughs> Probably so, the only one here that I have never seen that I really want to see is possibly Mickey and Moore, just because I, it's him and Lily Tomlin. I think. Yeah, that's the, maybe not. <laughs> It's one I don't know if it's only uh, no, it's Amy Irving. Oh, Amy Irving. Okay, not Amy Irving. Not no. I'm I'm sorry to keep correcting you. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Someone's gotta. 
Yeah, but that has that does have um one of my favorite all time actors, Richard Mulligan. Yeah, um, yeah, from a uh, soap and Empty Nest. So hmm. you know, maybe yeah, I remember the po- I remember the box art because I'm me. We have talked for nearly an hour and I've not talked about this film that much because, <laughs> well, because it has a great, this movie, let's be honest. Okay. I like this movie, mm. but this movie, like I said earlier, this movie is really good because of the cast. Yes. And the energy they bring to the movie. I feel some of the improv that Chevy Chase brought to the movie works well. Most likely the story is completely disposable. Mm. I ended up rooting for the bad guys almost, <laughs> except for the murder part. And the it just, it's too long. Mm. This movie is two hours long and it doesn't need to be. So I feel it's 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 good but not great. But yeah, we, we talked about it briefly. Uh uh Diamond, like you said, so Goldie Horn is a woman who's recently divorced. She's leaving a party and so he picks up a hitchhiker, right? Yes, but I need to stop you right there because I, I want to blow your mind a little bit. Can I blow your mind mm-hmm. a little bit? Because yeah, let, let, yeah, blow my mind. So the movie opens with a party, and the, it's not a long scene. And then you get a nice long sequence of her driving along the coast. And um, there's a song. We'll get to the song later. But there's we'll a get song to the song playing. later. <laughs> <laughs> there's a song playing over the credits. Uh, I. I you know, me being me, I noticed like, hey, these credits are the the, the Atari font. All the Atari 2600 <laughs> games use this font. But yeah, I'm going to blow your mind here, okay? Okay. James, I know you are a fan of, you know, obscure, unknown cinema. Well, that's the Have podcast. Ever, <laughs> yes. Have you ever seen 1980 The Shining? Of course. <laughs> yes, okay. That's not the blow part. Okay. The sh- <laughs> How does The Shining open? The, the same thing. Yes. Is what, kind car, what kind of car? What kind of car do they drive? In the shop. It's a it's a yellow VW, isn't it? It is. So you got two movies. This is two years earlier. You got mm-hmm. a long credit sequence of a yellow bug driving through some very scenic um, uh, American countryside, mm-hmm. and with a song over. In the case of the Shining, it's weird ass creepy song. You know, uh, synth music. It's Wendy Carlos. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the here's the killer. They're almost exactly the same length. What did you, you measure this? Did you get us? Did you get a stopwatch and go? I'm just saying. There's uh, if you do the if you do the, the YouTube doubler thing. I don't know if that website still works, but if you play one YouTube video and watch another one, the music syncs up so closely. That's terrifying. So you can put the you can put the shining music over foul play, or you can put the <laughs> Barry Manilow, you know, <laughs> Red Take a Chance again over the shining, and it almost it it almost fits perfectly. So that's that's funny. So um, so Shining has a better song, but I didn't see the sh- shadow of the helicopter in this movie. No, so, you don't. You don't. Yo. Yeah, in Shining, you see the shadow of the helicopter uh, in in one of the shots. Let's talk. About, okay, you mentioned it. Let's talk about that fucking song. Yeah. So Barry Manilow. So, so not to skip ahead, this movie did very well. It got nominated for a shitload of awards. Mm. One of them was 
the Oscar nominee for best original song was for Ready to Take a Chance Again, by Barry, sung by Barry Manilow, written by the film's composer, Charles Fox, who also did um, music for um, 9 to 5, but not, not the song. Mm. And he also did music for Monday Night Football, but not the, not the song. Mm. And lyrics by Norman Gimbel, who wrote the lyrics for Killing Me Softly. So good for him. Um, this song sucks shit. This song is <laughs> terrible. is the song so like Barry Manilow's kind of kitsch now right you know and yeah. like you know people like him he seems like a nice enough guy and Mandy great song Mandy's a great song Copacabana great song in he this movie song, in this movie yes because this is the year it came out um, yeah. uh, he has a song by Jim Steinman I think called Read Him and Weep good song this when when people think about bad like bad 70s soft rock and how Barry Manilow became a punchline, I have to imagine those people were thinking about this goddamn song. This song is a nothing. This song is wallpaper. Despite that, it won't get out of my fucking head. <laughs> That's why it works. That's I, why it works. <laughs> and then the movie, the movie ends with it too. And the movie ends with a giant accent scene. And then this fucking fucking audio mayonnaise comes on and just it's you can't oh it's it was nominated for a goddamn oscar this it was this song was a hit single this is this barry manilow sold 10 million records in the 70s um and this was peak manilow this is the same year that copacabana came out oh yeah and 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 like thank god this movie lost this song lost to donna summer's last dance well, she's um, no contest there. No contest. Yeah, I mean, Last Woo! Dance is a Last Dance is from a movie called Thank God It's Friday. Thank God It's Friday. Not a great film. I like it. Not a great film. Foul play. Better movie. But that Barry Manilow. Oh, I was angry. Like, it, <laughs> like we're listening to the song in the opening credits, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And right when I said that, Barry Manilow's name came on, and I'm like, <laughs> a fucking course it is. And then we're watching Night Court a lot, my boyfriend and I, and that's a recurring bit is that Harry hates Barry Manilow. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. You know what, Harry? You're right. Fuck Barry Manilow. I'm sorry. This, I gotta... I, you da that damaged me. <laughs> but are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. You hung, you hung up my anti-Manilow. But yeah, after the Manilow, Goldie Hawn picks up a guy whose car's broken down. And he looks kind of nervous and because someone's following him and he puts uh, some film in a, in a, in a, what do you call a cigarette thing? A packet, packet of cigarettes. Yeah. And, the packet. and doesn't tell her it's there, but says, hold on to these for me. I'm trying, I'm trying to cut down. Let's meet at this movie theater later. They, she goes to the movie theater. He shows up. He's murdered. <laughs> yep. He's, He's got that classic movie movie murder where you you're dead, but you're not dead enough to stop moving. So you get to go somewhere and tell someone with your last breath uh, cryptic information. Yes, and <laughs> she, she yeah she he, he she's trying he's trying to convey to her 
something very important, but she keeps misunderstanding that he's talking about the movie. And mm. I have to imagine he died very frustrated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then she screams when she figures out he's dead. She runs out of the theater, gets the manager, comes back, body's gone. Everyone thinks he's crazy. And that's kind of a recurring bit in the first half of the film. Right. Dude, that's, that's, yeah, this establishes a pattern for her where she encounters horrible things, in some cases, very actual threats. Like, he's not a threat to her, but she, you know, he dies in front of her. Mm-hmm. Other people will attempt to kill her later in this movie. And when she tries to get help, she brings them back and nothing's there. Any bodies are gone. There's no sign of any break in. And people just assume she's crazy. In this scene, you get a, you get a great bit from, you know, Chuck McCann, legendary voiceover guy. You've heard this man's voice. He's just, he just played, he, and it's funny, this character doesn't matter to the story at all, but you get a lot of back, with, you know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of character depth to him. Like he's in his office, he's screwing around with a girl and like, he's, you know, he's clearly huffed. He doesn't, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to be out. He doesn't want to talk to the customers. Like it's this really weird, he gets a lot of screen time for basically just, oh, how dare you make me stop the movie? There's nothing here. You're a crazy lady. It's like, that's all he does. That's it. That's yeah, the end of his scene. Yeah. Well, the movie has a lot of character like that. Like, you know, yes. there is, um, the, all the hitmen have like little bits to them. Like one of the hitmen is a stereotypical scary albino. Hmm. So named Whitey. <laughs> God. Um, and then there's another one named Rupert Stiltskin, <laughs> which is a great name. And there's one with a scar on his face. Um, and they Rupert call him Scarface. Sk- <laughs> they call him Scarface. <laughs> yeah, all the yeah. Um, Willie Rupert Skitkin is played by Mark Lawrence, who was one of those guys also who acted his entire life. He's in. He's in. You said he's in two Bond films. Yeah, this is a weird thing for me because this is a guy. So I grew up watching those Bond movies over and over and over again. He is in two different Bond movies, playing essentially just the same the same guy. He's like he's like a you know a ma- a mafia type guy, mm. and so he's in two movies against two different Bonds. He doesn't meet Bond <laughs> in one of them, but. To me, the line that stands out to him is he's a guy in Diamonds Are Forever when Bond goes up to his room with Plenty O'Toole. And <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's Classy. got big tits. That's um, it. <laughs> and she's in the room and he goes up there and the, and the mob are there and they, they want to talk to him about business. So they throw her out the window and she lands in a pool. Mm-hmm. And so he has a scene. With, he has a quick exchange with uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery's like, exceptional shot. And Mark Lawrence is like, I didn't know there was a pool down there. So they just threw her out the window. But he lives. He lives in that movie. In Man with the Golden Gun, he is the guy in the beginning of Man with the Golden Gun who is hired to kill Scaramanga, but Christopher Lee shoots him dead anyway. So he he just dies. Okay. And it, very late in life, this is like, this is, you know, 1998. So he's got to be like 80, 88, 89 years old. Mm-hmm. He plays a gangster on the holodeck in Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, in the, in the casino episode. Star Trek fans know what I'm talking about, the casino episode. He is okay. the guy who tries to take over the casino. And, like, you know, he he looks, you know, he looks 88 years old, but he's still, it's the same guy. And, like, oh, it's a, it's a gangster guy. I recognized him right away when I saw him. So, very nice to see him here in this movie with some more life to him, even though he's already probably, like, 50. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, he, 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 all the villains are good. You know, the guy playing the albino is not an albino. And there, there is the stereotype of the evil albino, um, yeah. which I, is, is problematic these days. But he's he he he's a creepy looking character, and I think he has good energy to him. He would be creepy even if he wasn't an albino. They just made him an albino to be more creepy. I feel like you know, compare this with Silver Streak. He's very much in the role that Richard Keel plays in Silver Streak. Yeah, and I feel like Keel could have gotten this job if Keel could actually run around. <laughs> 
Yes. This what speaking of Silver Sleek, what this movie needs more is this movie needed a Ray, Ray Walston. I feel yeah. it would have been really you replace I don't know who with Ray Walston and it would be, be be a better movie, even though it is a good movie. But yeah, mm. so there, there's these hitmen after her and they try to kill her, like and they try to kill her, she kills one of them. And then the cops, he calls the cops, but then the other hitman comes in. She blacks out. The bo- body's gone. The same thing happens. She goes. She also goes on the run, and that's when she meets Horny Dudley Moore, who gives a vodka and hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, this is a great. Can we talk about this? This is a great little scene. So he meets. Okay, she, go ahead. She's running away, and she just runs into a bar. Copeland Copeland is playing. It's the, it's the most seventies bar. Uh, you know, it's perfect it, it, time capsule. Singles bar. Yeah. And she's just like, take me home. And Dylan Moore is like, uh, yeah, okay, let's go. Um, you know, my place is yours. Oh, I've got a place around the corner. I, no, I which is closer? Accent. Which is closer? He says. <laughs> and he takes her back to her pad, and you get this great scene where she is looking out the window, fearful for her life, and she just sort of, you know, and, yes, ending, yes, ending, whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And he is in the background setting up all his sex stuff and undressing and checking her out and pouring her a drink, and it's this really funny scene to me. I don't know. I don't know if, if Mike Myers loved this movie or not, but to me, there's a really strong Austin Powers energy to the scene because he is just he's not ugly, but he's like a short little guy and he starts to undress. And I feel like it's, you know, it's like the Austin Powers stuff where he just takes off all his clothes and starts dancing because like, he's dancing around to the music. And I, I just thought the scene was very funny. And it's not it's not rapey. It's not rapey at all. He's just oh, no, you know, no, no. She he, told him, I want to go to your place. And so he assumes she wants to fuck and he's he's down. So he's getting ready. But he doesn't, yeah, when when it comes to the scene where, when it comes to that moment where she's like, oh, what are you doing? He's just like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And like, he just like, you know, he just shrivels away. So there's no. In more, one, in more ways than one, probably. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. So there's no awkwardness. There's no like, oh, no, we're here. What do you mean? You didn't lie to me. Like, no, nothing like that happens. It's all funny. No, it's all Stan- funny. Yeah, his character's name is Stanley. Stanley's not wrong. Okay. See, she. There's an old, there's an old, I forgot who made the joke. I saw it on Comedy Central. There's a comedian who said, before AIDS, single life was different. Before AIDS, a pickup line was, come on, let's go. <laughs> and that's what happens to him. Yeah. <laughs> he's sitting in a bar. This beautiful blonde comes up to him and says, let's go back to your place. And then, so he's like, yeah, let's go back to my place. And then I do love how offended she is. It's just <laughs> like, you thought we were going to have sex. And I feel like that is... Goldie Hawn going back on her blonde ditz role. Like, <laughs> see, like, how could she, how, like, she's like, how could you possibly think this? I just came up to you in a random bar and said, I want to go back to your place. <laughs> it's like, lady. And it's 1978. <laughs> 1978. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like you said, it's not gross. It's no, no, it's stupid, but it's not gross. And he does Spanish fly, but I don't know if he knows what Spanish fly is because it looks like hot sauce. <laughs> I don't know what Spanish fly is. That's like it's one. Of, it's like a famous aphrodisiac, but, yeah, but it's what probably it? not real. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's it's not a roofie. Like he doesn't try to. It's I feel like Spanish. Like people talk about roofies now, but I think before the t- before roofie was Spanish fly. But I don't think Spanish fly is actually a thing. I think it's just like a. I think it's like a legendary roofie. Like you give yeah. it to someone because you think it's going to work, but it's. I don't think it's anything. Well, it's not like a roofie. It's it's something that mo- it's supposed to make you horny. Right. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Not. Not. Nothing that skeezy. So yeah, I don't know what he, gave, but yeah, he just gave her. He he gives her a drink, and she says this tastes like tastes like Tabasco. So <laughs> I guess he gave her a Japanese Bloody Mary. Um, sorry, I, I'm bitter about Japanese Bloody Marys are terrible. 
Just FYI, everybody. <laughs> Japanese Bloody Marys are just tomato juice and vodka with a with a dash of Tabasco sauce, and that's it. So don't if you ever in Japan again, if they have open borders, do not get a Bloody Mary at any Japanese bar. Um, anyway, sidetracked. I think I don't want to go too much into the details of the plot. I will it say doesn't actually matter. That's the thing. The plot doesn't actually matter so this much. This is the most MacGuffin movie ever made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy literally there's a not a MacGuffin. No. Early in the movie, someone's wearing a sign that just says red herrings, right? At the at the market. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like the movie knows it's the movie knows it doesn't it almost the, the story doesn't matter that much. Yeah, because the the bad guys are still looking for the cigarettes. She doesn't even know that. They're yeah. looking for the cigarette packet that has a microfilm in it. She has no idea. At one point that is destroyed and, and that doesn't change the plot. Exactly. You never know. Yeah. You never find out what the film even is. And I, because like the, we should say this. So, uh, Mr. Hennessy, super nice landlord, has mm. a snake, a really big snake, yes. and it's a really fun scene because the snake is introduced right after she was almost killed. So the snake is slithering into the scene, and you think, oh my god, someone put a snake in this room to kill them. Mm-hmm. But then they just pick it up, and they're like, oh, it's your pet snake, and they love the snake because the snake is adorable. It's not a, it's yeah. not a, it's not a, it's not a biting snake at all. It's just like it's like a boa constrictor or something. And the snake comes back later, and you, you think it implied that maybe the snake tried to eat the film, or maybe the snake did eat the film. You don't even know. But the the packet of cigarettes gets thrown into the fireplace and burns up, and that's it. And that's it. It's yeah. gone. Yeah, it's and, almost. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Notice, like, did the snake eat it? I don't know. Does it matter? Nope. <laughs> yeah, never it doesn't really matter. It's it's very much like because Hitchcock invented the MacGuffin, the idea of the MacGuffin, and the MacGuffin is an object that is of great importance to the characters, but not the audience. Hmm. And this is very much that. But I feel after a certain point, it doesn't even matter because they figure out the plot. I guess we can't we can't really talk about the movie if we don't say what the plot is, like the the what the the murder plot is. Hmm. Because I feel the murder plot is. Very complicated and with a very strange motive. It's uh, it's a round it's a very roundabout story. Like oh, I, spoiler. I, she, we missed yeah. it. We kind of missed it even before the party. There is a very quick scene where oh yeah, a, a, an archbishop, archbishop or a cardinal or some high ranking person meets his identical twin and gets murdered. <laughs> yes, yes, and that doesn't come up again for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, it, 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 that's the very first scene, and you don't, that doesn't get connected until almost, I think, an hour into the film. So, I feel we should spoil what the, what the, what the murder plot is, because I want to talk about it. So, yeah, if you I mean, do, but again, much like a lot of movies we talked about before in this, this podcast, like, this, the plot doesn't even matter. Like, you watch this movie, like, it doesn't matter. Gag. It really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So, if you do want to watch this, it's not streaming anywhere. I have to buy a Blu-ray. I'm sorry. But I think it might be on YouTube, honestly. It might be on YouTube. There you go. So what is the so these hitmen are hired by a group of people. What is what is the evil people? What is their intention? The Pope is visiting San Francisco. Yes. And they establish this very subtly, not quite that, not super subtly, but there's, not there's, there's usually like background TV stuff where it's like, oh, the Pope is coming, the Pope is coming. But no one really talks about it until they realize, oh, they're gonna kill the Pope. Mm-hmm. So You've got this guy who the his literal I thought maybe like a, like a spy shit where it's like he's wearing a mask. No, it's his literal twin brother. So the <laughs> the archbishop had a twin brother. He's here to replace his brother and assist the hitmen getting close to the pope who's going to attend a big show at the opera and they're going to kill the pope. And when they explain why they want to kill the pope, my exact note on the scene is, "Uh-oh, 
the villains are right. Yes. Why do they want to kill the Pope? Yeah, because they're they're angry about, you know, uh, billionaires and the elites and, you know, how the the people at the top are hoarding wealth and depraving people at the bottom. And the Pope is a symbol of that system. Like, obviously. And the church should be taxed. Yeah. Like, I don't want people to go out and murder the Pope. You don't don't please don't murder the Pope. Don't murder <laughs> okay. the Pope. Very but Jesus Christ, that system that system is corrupt and holy shit, those people uh are hoarding wealth. They absolutely are hoarding wealth. So yes. I don't know what's I don't know what's funnier, Diamond. Do you saying I'm Jewish, I'm sorry sorry, or don't murder the Pope? Both are good uh out of context. These are both I stand by both those statements. <laughs> <laughs> I am well, Jewish and I'm commanding our listeners not to murder the Pope. I am agnostic and I am com- I am I am don't yeah I guess don't murder the Pope. You know also when, when you think about the Catholic Church making them the the you know it's you it's really hard to feel bad for them. But yeah that's the plot and it's this it feels so oddly complex. Like why not just make it about somebody wanting to kill somebody for money? You know right. why why add this maybe what is going on that maybe maybe Colin Higgins who was gay had some feel anti church feelings and was trying to shove them in the movie. Who knows? But it just it it just adds an ex- and then and then to make it so one of the people who's in this group this anti church group is the twin brother <laughs> of the archbishop that's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I do like once they all figure it out, you know, and once Chevy Chase realizes they're she's actually in danger, she stays with him at the best houseboat ever. Yeah. Um, and they they start to investigate what's going on. I like when she gets kidnapped and Chevy Chase Chevy Chase goes with Burgess Meredith to go rescue her. Mm-hmm. And Burgess Meredith gets into a knockdown drag out fight with a fifty with a fifty year old woman. <laughs> it's a good scene. <laughs> it's a great that is the, that is the best fight scene by senior Academy Award nominees ever. Rachel like- Roberts versus Burgess Meredith. There's probably there's probably some stunt work going on there, but there's a oh, lot yeah. of shots where you can see them doing it. You can see you can yeah. see them rest, uh, rolling around the ground a lot. Maybe he, like, like when they break stuff, it's probably stunt person, but still, he they're power in he power bombs her into a piano. That's some good <laughs> shit. That is good shit. And then it, th- th- I feel like that's when the movie really this the this movie has some wackiness in it, and the bad wackiness is the Billy Barty scene. Yeah. Where she's warned, so um, Scotty, the dead cop, warns her, says, beware the dwarf. The dwarf is a nickname of one of the killers. She doesn't know that. So out of nowhere, a little person comes to her house to sell Bibles. Mm -hmm. And she throws them out the fucking window. Right. And what makes the scene so sitcom-y is the fact that all his dialogue is written with double entendres that makes it sound like he's going to kill her. But he's actually Are you ready the for Bible. the next world? Yeah. Yeah. He's actually trying to sell like the Bible and Christianity and talk about, but he keeps talking about like afterlife and, you know, meeting God and all this stuff. So she's playing the scene like, oh my God, you're here to kill me. And he's like, I'm here to sell you Bibles. And it's just, it's a little weird because, yeah, he's Billy Barty. You are twice his size. Like, okay, yeah, if he took out a gun, he would shoot you. But short of that, <laughs> lol, short of that, <laughs> what's he going to do? And she overpowers I, him immediately. <laughs> I do like with a broom. She, with a she broom, call, she calls him a midget, and then he says, "Actually, we prefer to be called little people." So that's nice. They put that in there. 
Yeah. Uh, but I also, when she's thrown out the window, it is very obviously, very clearly not him. Because mm. I'm going to guess there aren't many little people stuntmen. <laughs> so they they probably got the shortest stuntmen they could find. How neat were the stuntmen on this, right? You said that. Yeah, it's 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 de- it's deep in the credits, but yeah, they have a special shout out to um, what's the line? They have um, stunt players, special yeah, stunt players. They mention Craig Baxley and Hal Needham. Hal Needham, you've mentioned the show before. He's very oh, many famous. Times. Craig Baxley, not as famous, but relevant to us because we recently talked about the Warriors, and he yeah. did the stunt work for the Warriors. So um, yeah. those two I'm- guys popped up in the credits together i was like hey you know i'm leonard caprio pointing at the screen hey you just so he uh he he famous infamously played uh, a black man in the warriors hmm. i wonder if he was playing a little person here uh man of many talents that scene is terrible it really and it's kind of in a lull in the film because then before that there's a joke with two old ladies playing scrabble and trying to spell motherfucker and yeah, all the all the stuff they spell are basically dirty words. Yeah, it's well, like it's just an ele- one of them spells fuck, then fucker, then motherfucker, <laughs> and that's stupid. After that scene, I feel the the movie picks up and becomes the right kind of wacky again. With it the, definitely uh, improves yeah. when she's uh yeah she's on the run at some point and she runs into a massage parlor and then she mm-hmm. happens to be in a room, and the guy waiting for a massage. Dudley Moore. <laughs> that's a great scene. That's the right. It's stupid and far fetched, but it's funny, and that's the right kind of wacky. It's the right kind of sex humor. It plays very well. It's very broad still, right? Uh, and that's great. And then the 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 ending card, I guess, chase race against mm. the time, is stupid as hell. Also, but it's a it's a chance for some fantastic car stunts. Even though in one of them, very clearly, no one's in the car except the stuntman with the helmet. Uh, but that's fun. It has ja- the, the good, good Japanese tourist humor. Right. Was it Chase, uh, Chevy Chase steals a taxi cab and he, a- only after he steals it, he realizes it's two Japanese, like I should say very elderly Japanese people, very elderly Japanese people. Although that yeah. guy didn't die. Until, that guy didn't, that actor who plays the husband didn't die until 1992. Okay, but yeah, then he was probably like 104 when he died because <laughs> he's Japanese. This is yeah. this is 1978, and he looks he looks like he's like 80 years old. Yes, yeah, and his wife looks even older. Yes, and they uh they you know for the Japanese tourist joke, those are Japanese actors, right? They're speaking like, Japanese. They're carrying they're carrying little jowl bags, so it looks like they just they just arrived from Narita, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, jowls the <laughs> one of the big airlines in Japan, and I, my boyfriend told me they're saying stuff like we've been kidnapped. Oh no. Stuff yeah. like that in Japanese. So that's good. I think Goldie Hawn gets him to calm down by calling Chevy Chase Kojak. Now, I think if they would have known anything about Japanese culture, she would have said Colombo. Because Japanese people fucking love Colombo. Still on the air today. I Still see on the air all the time. Every time I go to a book off, I see what I see used Colombo on Blu-ray and sometimes Laserdisc. Uh yeah, Japanese Japanese people love them in Colombo. So they, I, I, I would have gone that route. But then they get to the opera house. They stop the assassination during the Mikado. Yeah, so... Uh, the ending I don't is know. bizarre. Do do we as Americans who live in Japan, do we need to talk about the Mikado? I, I, <laughs> do people remember the Mikado? Because like, I feel like Pirates of Penzance and HMS Pinafore are like still very famous and still get done all the time. 
do people still do the Mikado? Because I feel like that's that talk about aging badly. <laughs> it's just I don't know anything about the Mikado. I I I own synth pop by a, ja- a French Japanese band called the Mikado. Mm. <laughs> um, the Mikado is Gilbert and Sullivan, right? I, I yes. believe so. Yes, absolutely. And that's why that's why the joke is during the during the course of the Mikado and the people and the hitman are up in the riggings and they they drop sets from HMS Pinafore, which is another Gilbert and Sullivan show. It's like mm-hmm. so like this theater obviously hosts a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I I think it is a weird choice to have the Mikado. Uh, I I, I guess it, I don't. It, it is kind of icky. I mean, it's basically you know it it comes from an era where you know you can't go to Japan, but you maybe you read about it in a book somewhere, you know. So they made a whole musical about oh, here's what we think Japanese people might be like, and <laughs> you know it's it's obviously not accurate at all. But the, the point of the story isn't that they're Japanese. The, the point of the story is, just, oh, here's a weird fantasy land. So they, they, they took they took this, you know, base some basic loose ideas about Japan and made a fantasy land about it. But when you play the show, most of the time, it's just white people wearing, you know, heavy kabuki makeup. So it's not quite yellow face, but it is white people, usually white people playing Asians and they're not Asian. But of course, this show has been around for like a century I'm pretty sure Japanese people have played the Mikado at this point. Like it's probably come here. It's probably been performed here by somebody. If, um, if, uh, if, if controversies around uh ghost in the shell and more recently bullet train have taught me anything about this topic, it's that people in a, Japanese Americans are going to be very angry and Japanese people won't care. Right. Cause to them, <laughs> but again, the difference of course, is that Japanese people see Japanese people on TV all the time. You know? Yes, I know. I know. I understand the difference. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, but I was just having a conversation yesterday with a client about bullet train. And I was like, well, you know, in the book, they're all Japanese and they changed the cast to be more, be more marketable. And she's like, but Brad Pitt's cute. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't argue with that logic. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I, I've, I've heard, I've heard the discussions about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you yeah, are, to my th- wife, but yeah, to my wife, who's Japanese, she just sees the ads like, oh, that looks like fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to see yeah. it? <laughs> yes. And the ending, I think, is so bizarre because it ends with Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase hugging and all happy. And there's a dead hitman and a dead cop strung to a prop boat behind them. Yeah, that definitely during my many views of this film, that scene has always been a little shocking to me because, yeah, the idea is that people get killed in the background and they fall into this into this the sets. And so eventually the sandbag breaks or whatever. And the ship comes down in the middle of this play while the Pope is watching. Yes, why yeah, the is watching? There's just dead bodies there, and it's just kind of like it, it's not gross, like it's not it's not like gory, but like they're dead, and they're supposed to be dead. They look dead, and one's a cop, right? And was and and was supposed to feel bad for the cops, you know? <laughs> so it's just a dead cop, and everyone's like clapping. <laughs> well, that's, that's the joke. The joke is that at, at the, there's this huge silence, and the the Pope breaks it by starting to clap. It's like, oh, you know, oh, like good job. And then they kiss, <laughs> and that fucking song plays, and. That's another thing. So the, 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 there's this gigantic, crazy action sequence, hilarious car chase, a shootout, a big romantic kiss, a one more comedic thing of Dudley Moore, all this really big emotion, and then that goddamn motherfucking Barry Manilow song plays. <laughs> and Should have been Copa, huh? Copa Command? Or just a score. Like, anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry to... I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry, because fuck that song. <laughs> No, this is 
This is your show. If you if you're it's if you're mad show, about Janet. Barry Manilow online, then this is the, this is the place to do it. <laughs> it's, it's it's very trite. It's very simple to say fuck Manilow, but fuck Manilow. But don't fuck this movie. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gave it. I would give this movie a solid three three and a half stars. It's not the best movie I've seen this month. Well, last month it's like the I haven't. It's only the fifth right now. Um, it's not the best movie I've seen recently, but I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad you recommended it. It's a really fun time capsule of the era, and it's nice to see Chevy Chase in something where I don't want to punch him in the face. I think rewatching it, it's sort of it sort of calcified how much I enjoy Silver Streak more. Yes, but it definitely has it has a lot of the same energy, and I I feel like I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong as a kid to watch these two movies a lot and have an affection for them because they really they have a lot mm-hmm. in common. It turns out behind the scenes, but even like just. In tone, I think like, they have a lot in common. So I feel like uh, I was, I really enjoyed watching it. And of course, now watching it as an adult, I'm like, I recognize even more actors. You know, as a kid, I didn't know yeah. how, I didn't know how these people, like, I knew Goldie Hawn, I knew Chevy Chase, I probably knew Dudley Moore because despite being Jewish, I saw Santa Claus the movie in theaters. <laughs> <sighs> I Don't ask not. me why. Don't no, ask me why. I, I do not remember. Maybe loss. someone took me there, but I knew who Dudley Moore was. So I knew I knew Goldie, I knew Dudley, I knew D- Dudley Moore. So this movie on TV, I knew everyone in that respect. But you know, now like, oh, it's Brian Dennehy. Oh, Frances Bay, the woman who played everyone's grandma in the 80s and 90s. She's here in her first movie. Like that's wild to me. <laughs> I was stunned. Stunned to see yeah. a brown-haired Frances Bay. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It, it, it is a character actor showpiece also. And it is a fun movie if a little uneven. And if anybody takes anything away from this episode, it's not just that this movie's good, but you know, if you're younger than us or you know around our age and you've forgotten about her, watch more Goldie Hawn films because that woman can act. Yeah, and I feel like people don't talk like because she kind of bowed out in the '90s and she only shows up once in a while now. That people don't really talk about her, but you know, I need to see more of her films. I need to well, see Private Benjamin. I need to see Butterflies Are Free. I need to see. Uh, shampoo because everything I see her in seems fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this summer uh, we just we just passed the thirtieth anniversary of Death Becomes Her, which I feel like. Okay, I don't like that movie. <laughs> you don't like that movie? Okay, well, well I ahead, think that ahead. movie that movie I think definitely found a second life. I don't know if it was a hit at the time, but I feel like that movie no. found a second life because it's because it's so weird because it has um, you know very strong cable airing energy. And it's kind of like an unofficial Tales from Crypt movie. So I feel like that movie found an audience and people talk about it a lot. So that's not forgotten yeah. at all. But that no, is that a movie not, that I definitely no. like have a lot of I have a lot of I definitely I saw that one in theaters and I have a lot of strong memories for it. So my my my, my thing of Death Becomes Her is uh that the special effects were great at the time and have not aged great. Mm-hmm. And it's very I, it's it's almost too dark for me for a comedy. <laughs> and I hear that. And it's one of those it's, this is a this is a very me thing. It's like like that movie has a gay following now. And oh yeah, okay. As a gay man, I'm like, you can pick better. <laughs> like you can do, be- guys. We have to talk at the next meeting. <laughs> I'm gonna bring Xanadu. Uh, any, all the young gays, man. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I had I had a big fight with a gay coworker about Britney Spears being an icon, and I'm like, fuck you, Madonna, because Madonna can sing. But and I I I I, I am out of touch with the young gays, so I don't know what they like, but. First Wives Club is fine. It's I mean I mean Death, Death Becomes is fine. And mm. it, it has it, it's an interesting movie and I was when it came, here's a nerdy thing. 
when it came out, I was very bitter that it beat Alien 3 for the best special effects Oscar. <laughs> because I'm an, I was an Alien fanboy trying to convince myself that Alien 3 was a good movie. Uh, I'm an idiot. But anyway, uh, yeah, this is a good movie worth checking out if you can find it. And it is new on Blu-ray. That's how we watched it. And it's pretty cheap on Blu-ray in America. And it, I'm sure it'll show up on a streaming service pretty soon. Now that now now that it's in print. I mean, it's Paramount. Um, you got to assume that, you know, at least in America, you, they'd put it on Paramount Plus. So There are so many great Paramount films that are not on Paramount Plus mm. that you, you, you never know. I wonder if Pluto TV will get the TV series spinoff. That's I had no idea that happened. That's wild. With, with they made Deborah a TV Raff- version. Yeah, with Deborah Raffin and Barry fucking Bostwick. Barry that Bostwick. lasted one one season. Because this movie was a hit. This movie made about $45 million. And 1978 was a banger of a year for Paramount because they had this. This was their smallest hit. Because this is the same year that Heaven Can Wait, Grease, and Saturday Night Fever came out. All Paramount. God, I love so, Heaven Can Wait. I love Heaven Can Wait. I've I never seen movie. it. You never seen Heaven Can Wait? I'm, I'm sorry. There's a lot of oh movies. Oh my god. I know. Oh, I I've love seen, that movie. Well, is it, I'm sure I'll like it more than Grease and Saturday Night Fever. Um, because Saturday Night Fever, again, I've said in this podcast many times, fuck that movie. And Grease, I just, I, I mean, Olivia Newton-John, rest in peace, goddess, lover. Some good songs, but the Travolta energy is too much. And I just can't. I don't think there's anything problematic in Heaven Can Wait. I just remember, I just remember loving it, and I remember uh, a few years ago uh, when Buck Henry passed away. You know, classic uh, comedic actor, but also wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote or co-wrote Heaven Can Wait, I think. So I watched it after his passing, and just like I just I loved it all over again. So I love that I'll movie. Check, I'll check it out. And this movie was nominated for a lot of Golden Globes. It lost almost all of them to Heaven Can Wait. <laughs> so yeah. So maybe I'll check it out sometimes. The boyfriend has not seen any Warren Beatty films, so maybe that can be a, a good. First That's one. a good not, one. He's not not he's, crazy. He's got that classic Warren Beatty energy, where it's like he's not actually that young, but he's still extremely good looking, and you be, you believe that he could be the quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. You believe it. Well, hey, you know he's so vain. <laughs> that anyway, sorry. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. But uh, <laughs> Diamond, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I think this is not the only podcast that you and me are on together this month. Is that, am I right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, depending when this this will either come out right before or right after we're uh, on Retronauts together talking about uh, the Warriors. So yes, either look forward to that or thank you for listening to that. <laughs> yes, yes, please, please, and uh, listen to other episodes of the Retronaut of Retronauts that feature Diamond, not just me. Uh, yes, I am. A, I'm a regular host of Retronauts. Uh, I've been doing uh, doing that for. Jeez, I guess uh, about a year now I've been doing my own episodes, but uh, mm-hmm. recent episodes have included uh, Darkstalkers, one of my favorite uh, fighting game series. I've done a lot of stuff about uh, various Street Fighter spinoffs and sequels. And jeez, um, we did we did Metal Slug earlier this summer. I yeah, did uh, that was a good one. We did a great yeah. I had a I had a fun episode earlier this year where we did Resident Evil the first game, Resident Evil the remake, and Resident Evil the first movie. Oh. So we sort of. We compared and contrasted all three of those things because they're all named Resident Evil officially. Or Biohazard. Um, yes. Well, yeah, in Japan, they sort of, yeah, they re, yeah, they reported that. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, I get it. And speaking of which, since no one else will he- will have me on the show about this, but I'll say it here for anyone listening. <laughs> I liked 
that Resident Evil Netflix series. I liked it a lot. I watched it very quickly and I had a good time watching it. I'm sorry that it's, it's, it was it was uh, shown the door. I thought that was a good show. I will counter that by saying I didn't watch it and I hate everything Resident Evil <laughs> from the very first game to anything else I've ever experienced with it. And I wish there could be, I wish I could impose a worldwide moratorium on all zombie fiction for, for, for 25 years. It's okay. Because I'm fucking sick of zombies. And I'm from Pittsburgh. I live in Pittsburgh, goddammit. <laughs> I have personal I have a personal stake in, in zombie fiction. But I'm sorry. I'm sure it was good. I'm sure it was fine. I'm sure it's just like Marvel. I'm sure it's fine. But there's just so much of it, I just can't. I just can't anymore. I'm sorry. But uh Diamond right, Wells can go ahead. Beyond Retronauts, uh, which you know, which is not my personal thing, but I get to do a lot of it. Uh you can find me on Twitter and Twitch. As Fight Club, F-E-I-T, that's my last name, C-L-U-B, that's a regular English word that you've heard and used many times. Yes. Fight and Club. as always, you can find me on Twitter and YouTube as Lost Turntable and on my website that I will update again soon, I think, LostTurntable.com. And on Alexander's Ragtime Band, a podcast about progressive rock music. I do not know what this month's episode will be about yet possibly more Pink Floyd. It's hard to say. But I'll see you all again here in two weeks. Until then, take care. <laughs>